Good morning. I hope that you enjoyed the slides that we just saw. Those were uh, pictures that were all sent in to us <clears throat> from members of our church to help us reflect upon uh, peaceful places and moments uh, as we were over this past month looking at the fruit of the spirit of peace. So uh, we're grateful for that. And uh, allow me to welcome you to our uh, in-person worship here in the contemporary service. We're also uh, recording this and we'll be online very shortly for Sunday, November the 29th. This is the first Sunday of Advent, as you can well see. And many, many thanks for those of you who stayed behind last Sunday to make all of this the way it looks. We're grateful, so give them a big round of applause, would you please? Yay. We begin our intentional journey today to Bethlehem and to the celebration of the Christ child. You will want to make sure to take with you on your way out an Advent devotional. That will be a chance for you to uh, every day reflect with us upon our journey to Bethlehem and as well the Connect magazine. So grab one of those on the way out and you'll see some great stuff in here and you'll be informed for what's happening at Church of the Palms over the course of the next uh, three months or so. Uh, one stop for your Advent journey is uh, Christmas Under the Stars, Wednesday, December the 9th at 5.30, right out there in the courtyard. You will be caroled to by our preschoolers, and you will be inspired by the retelling of the Christmas story. So this is really for anyone who's young at heart, young families, all are welcome uh, this, uh, a week from this Wednesday the December 9th. Also starting this Wednesday, December the 2nd, you won't want to miss online the music of Advent hosted by Genevieve Beauchamp and an assortment of our pastors. This Sunday, Wednesday at 6.30 via Zoom, you'll have the chance to learn about the music and history of today worship with Genevieve and Maggie Brown. You can register on our website and join us in this inspiring time of learning and singing. Another way to prepare for Christmas is to adopt an angel from the Salvation Army Angel Tree, a chance to bring joy to the life of a young person or a senior who's likely not to receive much of anything at Christmas. Last count, we still had 22 children left to be adopted and also five seniors. So you can find your way to the Salvation Army Angel Tree Project on our website. These unwrapped gifts will be delivered directly to this. You need to deliver them to the Salvation Army collection site over on Tuttle Avenue uh, by December the 9th. Speaking of Salvation Army, we can still use a bunch, 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 bunch more ringers at the Publix over on Beneva and Bee Ridge. The sign-up is on our website again. It all goes to this important mission partner in our community. Just two-hour shifts and a whole lot of joy and encouragement you will give. We still have... 65 slots still to fill, and we've already begun Advent, so please uh, find a couple of hours in your schedule, and we'd love to have you uh, help us out with that. Another way to serve in this season is to help us here in the food pantry, where you can help us pack groceries and distribute food to those who are in need during these holidays. You can find a sign-up form, again, on our website, and there's a great need for help during the middle of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. We continue our conversation about race in the church tomorrow night at 6 p.m. on Zoom. You can register online. We'll be talking about the color of law. Don't worry if you haven't read it. Just join us at 6 o'clock, and we'll show you a little video, and we'll have a discussion following. And lastly, we are overwhelmed by your response to our congregational survey. 660 
good old COPers responded. Your feedback has been very helpful in helping us guide our decisions to proceed during these unprecedented times. And looking ahead to Christmas Eve and how we might celebrate, more of you prefer the idea of actually gathering outdoors so we can sing Christmas carols and worship the newborn Savior under the stars, which is exactly what we plan to do on December the 23rd. We'll be out on Siesta Beach singing and and hearing the story of Christmas at 5 o'clock. And then on Christmas Eve, we will have three outdoor services at 5, 7, and 9 p.m. We'll be gathered in the courtyard under the tree, wearing our masks, keeping our distance, and we will sing and give thanks and light candles in as healthy a way as possible. Dress casual for the weather. It won't be much more than a half hour, so some will want to just sort of stand. Others will want to bring chairs to sit, and maybe we'll have some chairs available as well. For those of you who prefer indoors, we will have a nice meditative and contemplative service at 3 p.m. in the sanctuary. You have to register for that, and the registration form will be available on our website. And of course, for those of you who just would prefer to remain home, stay away from the crowds, we have our pre-recorded customary candlelight service with strings and singers and carols that we will post online at 7 p.m. The Boy Scouts, the wonderful troop that we are supporting, is uh, making a poinsettias available for $20 a piece. Some of you may have already pre-ordered those. You can go pick those up just outside the Palm Center after the service. If you've not ordered, uh, there still may be some available. There's huge guys. So uh, 20 bucks a piece, and they go to support the Boy Scouts. So it's all for a good cause. Ah. <sighs> We've got a lot going on here at Church of the Palms, but we are grateful that we can be together as we begin the Advent season. And to that end, I'd like to invite the Soboleski family to come and light the Advent candle. Good morning. I'm Sarah Soboleski. This is my husband, Steve, and my children, Sawyer and Sydney. We're very happy to be here today. When I look around, I see shadows of hunger. So many people in this city and around the world will go to bed hungry tonight. When I look around, I see shadows of injustice. The rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. Everyone saying more, 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 and yet... Someone somewhere will fall asleep without a bed or a home as their stomach rumbles. In the face of hunger, we alight a candle of hope. In the face of injustice, in the face of despair, we light a candle of hope. Let the light from this candle say to all that God's peop people in coming on earth as it already is in heaven. Friends, be not afraid. God's hope is at hand. As we stand to worship God, let us light the Christ candles on our tables. There's no space that is love can't reach. There's no place where we can't find peace. There's no end to amazing grace. Take me in with 
Justin and the band, that was great. And um, as you're sitting down, the kids can stand up and go with Miss Carol to go up for Impact Kids. She's got some special things planned. And we are at that time in our service where we get to worship God with our offering. On the screen, there are four ways that you can easily give. And of course, we can give that way as well, even if we're here in person. Or there's a basket on each side of the table as you leave. Good to see some of our college students trickling back home um, again. It's so great. So, of course, now we are here to um, offer our prayers for one another and for the community, things that are heavy on our heart um, or things that we want to celebrate. So I would like to ask at this time if there are any prayers that we could be lifting up on this day. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, a friend of ours, um, Alicia Thompson, Derek Thompson, who was here, um, I think Mimi and Caleb lived with them for a season. They did a little um, joint living together. Uh, Mimi and Caleb now have three little boys, and Caleb just died suddenly 
like coming back from a run, I think, even. So um, they are reeling from that. Thank you for lifting that up. I did hear from Marion um, that Mighty Millie, the little three-year-old who is battling cancer, especially needs our prayers this week. She has been doing really well, and all of a sudden her fever spiked, and um, her blood count is low. And so if we could be praying for Mighty Millie this week, I know that family would appreciate it. How else can we be praying today? I have one other update that Ben Kirsch's grandma, who has COVID, seems to have turned the corner, but his grandfather is still in the hospital and um, in ICU now, so that family is um, obviously pretty scared about that. All right, well, as we go to our time in prayer together, we are going to start with just a little bit of silence for confession just between you and God, and then I'll pray for us. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, you have heard our prayers of confession for the sins, for the things that we have been feeling, the words we have been saying, the actions that we have been doing that have separated us from you. Of course, you never turn away, but it is only us. And we pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for those sins. Mighty God, as we enter this season of Advent, we are preparing our hearts and thinking about how you came to the world to be one with us. We ask, O Lord, for your healing presence to be felt among all of those families who have lost loved ones. And while this season is tinged with anticipation and joy, it is also heavy with darkness and grief for many. We lift our prayers, wonderful counselor, for all of those who are suffering from COVID, cancer, and other illnesses. We remember those who feel lonely, hungry, and uncertain of the future. Help us to share your love in tangible ways, and most importantly, to not exclude anyone from your unconditional and inclusive love. Everlasting Father, we lit the candle of hope on this first day of Advent. We hope and pray that one day soon there will be an end to wars and viruses, an end to conflict, suffering, and dying. Our hope is in you, O Lord, to keep us grounded and present to the need among us and to keep us focused on the most important thing, receiving and extending your grace and love. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Amen. God not only hears our prayers, but the grace and love of God is from everlasting to everlasting. Friends, believe the good news in the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. 
You are free to go and love and serve the Lord with all the imagination and gifts and inspiration that you receive from God. Thanks be to God. Me again. Uh, and I realized I forgot to take my tie off, so I'm way overdressed for the service, so you'll have to, you'll have to pardon my appearance. <clears throat> so as we've been talking about, this is the first Sunday of Advent, and we thought it was a good time for us to shift into a reflection on a new gift of the Spirit, a new fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of patience. We've been looking at love and joy and uh, peace, but now we are in the midst of thinking about patience. And patience is something that I know that you have oodles and oodles of, and that there are no people whatsoever in your life who try your patience. And certainly we don't have a COVID virus to worry about. But in the event that you might need to think a little bit about patience, about this fruit of the Spirit, our Advent theme is going to be the challenge and the opportunity that comes with patience. Advent is really all about patience, patiently waiting for the coming of God, waiting patiently for God to do God's thing. So we are going to turn our attention this month to those in Scripture who patiently waited for God to come. Today we'll look at the prophet Isaiah. Next Sunday we'll look at Zechariah and Elizabeth, and then after that, John the Baptist, and then of course Mary and Joseph. So today, we look at one of the great messianic prophecies, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. Hear the word of God. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in the land of deep darkness on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and his named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Bethlehem. For we pray this in his name. Amen. I once visited a parishioner at her office and noticed that she had pinned to her bulletin board a little Xerox piece of paper that said the following, due to financial constraints and until further notice, the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off. A rather unique and quizzical thing to see posted in someone's office, due to financial constraints and until further notice, the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off. When I asked her about this, she told me that it 
had a lot to do with reminding her of the ongoing tension that exists between an assessment of present resources and the hope beyond hope of something better to come. That, that as dark as it may seem, as hard as it is to see, that there is still a light out there somewhere at the end of the tunnel, even though there may be some within the organization who would like to turn it off. We live, don't we, always within this realistic inventory of what seems available to us now and this hope that somehow, some way, something better is on its way, that the equation will work out to something more than the sum of its parts, that, that 2 plus 2 might equal 5, that 3 plus 3 might equal 12, and that the present constraint does not, in fact, have the ability to turn out the light at the end of the tunnel, that no matter how dark the tunnel might appear to be, no matter how long it might wind through the gloom and the shadows, that there is still a light somewhere out there at the end, an opening into a, another vista. When Abraham Lincoln stood before a divided nation 160 years ago, a nation on the brink of a civil war, a nation sorely divided over important issues. He concluded his first inaugural address by speaking into the darkness and saying, the mystic chords of memory will someday swell the chorus of the Union when again touched by the better angels of our nature. Lincoln looked beyond the present, beyond the present darkness to a glimmer of light that shined in the darkness against the better angels of our nature, as if to say that there was a light not only at the end of the tunnel, but that there was a present light reflecting upon we who had been born in the image of God. The light of God reflected upon us, and the light of God refracted through us, that the light awakens the better angels of our nature. Amanda and I make it our habit to get up before dawn most Saturdays and make our way to the beach in the pre-dawn dark and begin our walk in anticipation of the sunrise. And we, we always hope that when we get there that there are some clouds in the sky because, because a, sky, a sky with a few clouds makes the sunrise more beautiful. And we look up at the clouds, not at the horizon, mind you, but up at the clouds because we know that the sun's light will first hit the clouds. The sun's light reflects off the clouds first. We see the sun and the clouds before we see the sun. And it is the sun and the clouds that tells us that there's a greater light on its way. And I wonder if that isn't how the light at the end of the tunnel works, that before we can actually see the light, we see the light reflected off and refracted through those better angels of our nature, those that we who wait, we who walk in the darkness, we who dwell in the land of deep darkness, are the ones upon whom the light of the world reflects and through which the light of the world reflects. Don't you imagine that that's what the calling of the prophets were, that those who stood in the darkness, Isaiah, for example, those who stood in the darkness, those who were standing with those people as they were taken away into exile, standing in the darkness of a dark time, standing in a hopeless and uncertain time, Isaiah, standing with the people and looking far beyond what the equation appears to add up to and sees in the distance a light at the end of the tunnel and he knows that the only way those people are going to see that light is through him, reflected upon him, refracted through him. The cloud and the sky that is there to take 
tell them that the sun, though delayed, is on its way. This, I suppose, is what it means when the Bible tells us that we are created in the image of God, that somehow, some way, we are that unique medium upon which the light of God is reflected and the light of God is refracted. And let's not go too fast past that point, that in the midst of the darkness, we wait for the light, and it is we who are in the image of God. It is we, all of us, who maintain the capacity to reflect and to refract the light of God, that our greatest hope in the darkness is to see the glimmer of light that God shines upon and through every living human being. In fact, it's the only way sometimes for us to see any light is through its reflection and refraction through the image of God in every living human soul. In Graham Greene's great novel, The Power and the Glory, he tells the story of a Mexican priest, and as priests go, he's a pretty sorry one. He's an alcoholic. He's broken his vow of chastity, and he's on the lamb. So in his effort to stay ahead of the law, the priest travels from town to town, half in search of his next bottle, but also half in search of people looking for an agent of redemption. And what he discovers along the way in his moments of sobriety is that somehow in his own brokenness, it is his own brokenness that allows him to see with mercy the brokenness of others. It is in his own brokenness through which the light of Christ is refracted into the brokenness of others. It is his own brokenness that helps him to see the light of Christ reflected in the brokenness of others. It is his own need for redemption that helps him to see the need for redemption in others. It is his own failure as a priest that allows him to see with mercy the failures of others. And at one point, the priest, when confronted with the desperation of another group of villagers, says to himself, when you visualize a man or woman carefully, you can always feel pity. For this is a quality that God's image carries with it. When you see the lines at the corners of the eyes, and the shape of the mouth, how the hair grew, it was impossible to hate. Hate is just a failure of imagination. So we imagine, like the prophets of long ago, we imagine ourselves as the image of God, as the reflectors and refractors of God's light to one another. This is where we find hope in reflecting the light of God and in receiving the light of God as reflected in others. You may remember the great movie, Life is Beautiful, that tells the story of an Italian father and son who are taken away to a concentration camp in World War II, and the father commits himself to one mission, which is to shield his son from the dark horrors of the camp. So with his great imagination, he convinces the boy that the camp they're in is actually just a complicated game, and that the purpose of the game is to win points, and he wins points by doing what his father tells him to do, and that he can only lose points by complaining to the guards or saying that he's hungry. And the first one to a thousand points wins the game and wins a tank on top of it. 
And the whole time there, the father, for the sake of the son, transforms the dark camp into this funny game for his boy. He reflects light into the darkness. He's there to serve his boy. And it's all predicated on something Guido, the father, learns early in the movie when his uncle was training him to be a restaurant server. And the uncle says to him, as he's training him to be a server, he says, think of a sunflower. It's beautiful because it bows to the sun. And we serve by bowing, and we know that God is the first of the servants. God's light reflects its beauty upon us as we bend and bow before the light. I love that scene in Kurt Vonnegut's novel, Jailbird, where Walter Starbuck, a man who has been in prison for a couple of years for a Watergate crime, is released, and he's left to stumble around New York City wondering if he has any value, any worth, any chance of being accepted after what he's done. And he makes his way finally over to a coffee shop there in the city, and, and here's how Vonnegut describes the scene. Starbuck says, by the time I reached the coffee shop door, my self-confidence had collapsed. Panic had taken its place. I believed that I was the ugliest, dirtiest old bum in Manhattan. If I I went into the coffee shop, everybody would be nauseated. They'd throw me out and tell me to go to the Bowery where I belonged. But I somehow found the courage to go in and imagine my surprise. It was as though I had died and gone to heaven. A waitress said to me, honey bunch, you sit right down. I'll bring you your coffee right away. I hadn't said anything to her. So I sit down, and everywhere I look, I saw customers of every description being received with love. To the waitresses, everybody was honey bunch and darling and dear. It was like a, an emergency ward after a great catastrophe. It didn't matter what race or class the victims belonged to. They were all given the same miracle drug, which was coffee. I had the feeling that if Frankenstein's monster crashed into that coffee shop through a brick wall, all anybody would say to him was, you sit down right here, lamb chop, and I'll bring you your coffee right away. We reflect and we refract the light of Christ in a darkened world. So when the Israelites wandered in the dark deserts of the wilderness, wondering if there was ever going to be light, if there was ever going to be light in the darkness, Scripture says that Moses would climb up the mountain and have a conversation with God, the sunflower bending toward the sun. And Scripture says that when he came down the mountain, his face glowed. He reflected and reflected the light. And it was enough for the people to keep walking in the darkness. Do you remember the look on the face of Nelson Mandela as he walked from his dark eight by seven foot prison cell of 27 years? Do you remember the glow? Do you remember the radiant smile of a man who had come not to be served, but to serve, whose imagination led him to commit to himself that no person would ever be beneath him, that no person would ever make his bed, that his bending toward the sun allowed him to reflect the light of God to give his people hope for a more equal world. I remember reading a while ago the obituary of Gloves Greenberg. Gloves Greenberg, actually his real name was Meyer Greenberg. Gloves Greenberg was a 67-year-old advertising executive in New York City when he died. 
Now, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of advertising executives in New York City, so why does this particular man's obituary make it into, of all places, the New York Times? Well, it turns out that Meyer Greenberg had made it his practice for 30 years to commit between Thanksgiving and Christmas to walk the streets of the Bowery in New York and hand out gloves to the homeless people there. Every day through Advent, Gloves Greenberg would stop alongside the downtrodden and offer something to warm their hands. I prefer, he said, to go looking for the ones who won't ask for help. It's not the gloves that really matter as much as it is for them to know that someone thinks they count the light reflected due to financial constraints, due to pandemic constraints, due to political constraints, due to polarization constraints, due to circumstances beyond our control. The light at the end of the tunnel is really hard to see. And it's hard to wait. And it's hard to be patient. And it's hard to imagine the sun ever coming up. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them has light shine. For we are the image of God, the imagination of God. Clouds in the sky, sunflowers bending, angels hovering, reflecting and refracting and serving those who yearn to know that the dawn is coming. Let us pray. We are grateful, O Lord, that you have created us in your image, that we are that substance upon which light reflects and through which light is refracted. And we ask, O Lord, that especially in times of darkness, that we might look ahead to see your light that shines, that we may be the ones who remind others that the dawn is coming. In Jesus' name, amen.
your children remember your promise, oh God. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough. Your grace is enough for me. It is your love and justice, God. is enough, O God, and we pray that that grace would shine upon us and be reflected through us and upon us, that others may see that grace for themselves and know that they are accepted and loved by the one who was born in Bethlehem. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.